It's the middle of January. Chelsea continue to spend boatloads of money in the transfer window. Some big names have found new places across the top leagues, including one of the biggest here in Major League Soccer. And of course, we unpack the fallout from the weekend's massive derbies, including how Arsenal may have the league all but wrapped up. Grab your scarf. The supporter section kicks off right now. Welcome into the supporter section. I am Cole Carter, and this is episode 53 of the supporter section's podcast. Go ahead and leave a like and subscribe if you have not already, because today's episode will be a belter. I have my two good friends here with me, Stephen Curl and Brendan Pacenick. Fellas, it is good to be on the show today. How are your respective worlds of soccer right now, Brendan? I'll start with you. Feeling good? Feeling happy? Feeling low? Where are you at right now with your soccer teams? Yeah, a couple different places, to be honest. My domestic home team, which is Atlanta United, our our home team, doing some really weird things. Um, I'll let Steve talk about Joseph, but uh, I'm, I'm really sad on that end. On the uh, European end with Aston Villa, I am enjoying life right now. Unai Emery's taking us to the moon, and we have a couple easy games coming up. So I'm hoping we can keep skyrocketing. We'll see about that. Speaking of Aston Villa, Steve got me a Christmas gift. It was an Aston Villa poster, and I bought a frame for it finally and just put it up. It's right there off frame, and it's, uh, it's beautiful. So thank you. You again steve well speaking of christmas gifts steve what you wearing right now i see a little gift maybe we got going oh just a team that's three points off from the playoff spot in the championship <laughs> sunderland afc nice little vintage kit don't remember what year it was from but brandon got it for me for christmas thank you so much um yeah some sport in that right now but you know dude tottenham's in the pooper um Josef Martinez is gone. Um, I'm not in a good way right now. Uh, until tomorrow at 3 o'clock when Tottenham beats Manchester City. I'm so excited for that game. Um, so, you know, a lot of lows. Hopefully a high tomorrow. Well, you're you're happy right now as a recording. Who knows what the outcome will actually be when the time yeah. comes for kickoff. Yeah. Um, I'm currently sporting my red side of Manchester Derby. Excuse me. Red side of Manchester, um, brand like the United kit, and uh, yeah, got Christian Ronaldo on the back. You know, an infamous jersey, I'm sure, from that early Brentford loss uh, when they lost what four nil, one of Ten Hag's first games. Anyways, enough of that. We're gonna jump into some transfer news, which Brandon, you have been keeping good track of. You're gonna give us the confirmed news that the people need to know about, including who I mentioned earlier. Chelsea just keep throwing money, money, and more money at some players. And now the young one coming all the way from Shakhtar. Brandon, who is it? Yeah, and we have the answers for your transfers, people. This guy that Cole's talking about is Mudrik, um, 22 years old, left winger, signs for 88.5 million pounds from Shakhtar. Um, it is on an eight-and-a-half-year deal, but people – this makes him the Premier League's fifth highest ever signing. Okay, you know me. You know I like my quizzes, so I had to sprinkle this one in there because I saw a fun one. He's the fifth highest ever. You guys can go back and forth. Um, you guys can do a team one again. Let's do a team one again. As a team, who were the top 
four. This should be relatively easy. I know Pogba's up there. Yes. Jack Grealish. Yes. Lukaku. Two more. It's a trick yeah. question. Lukaku is both. Now, do the order. You know the four. <laughs> Lukaku to Chelsea, I guess last year, has to be the higher one. Was it the no, most? Jack Grealish is one. Yeah, 100 million. Yeah. And then I'll say Pogba too. He was 90. Wasn't he? Yeah, he was. 93.25. <laughs> For Pogba. Was Lukaku, was Lukaku For Pogba. like... Let's see. Was Lukaku 89 or 90 going to Chelsea? So Lukaku's twice, remember. So it's Jack Grealish at 100. Lukaku, you guys had it. 97.5. That was two... Damn. Um, who is that? Two. That's two Chelsea, right, from Inter. Paul yeah, Pogba, yeah, two yeah. Man U for 93.25. And then Lukaku from Everton to Man U for 90. Wow. How the hell is Lukaku up there twice? Why? And managed Why? to do nothing, both deals. Yeah, good lord. Anthony's right below Mujic, by the way. So that's a top six. But, Damn. Um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for having fun there. Sort of weird, this Mujic guy. I don't know if you guys have heard of him or even watched him. But he's done pretty mm-hmm. well in the Champions League. Still really young, has a lot to prove, and that's probably why the long-term deal. But that's a lot of money. It, it almost seems like Chelsea is looking at what Arsenal is doing and saying, who's Arsenal in for? Yeah. That player? Okay, we'll, we'll offer double. Um, it's sort of – it's really weird. Uh, I also have to give props to Arsenal on this one because they didn't get into a bidding war mm-hmm. uh, with Chelsea. They – they're sort of like, yeah, go ahead and pay that. We have our limits. I think they offered something really close to that, actually. But I think the wages were probably over the top for them. So, obviously, the obvious choice is Chelsea on that. Um, some other couple ones. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Wait, I have breaking news. Uh, reportedly, Real Madrid are offering $40 million for Emerson Real. Is that true? Chelsea, they might be in on him if that's true. Oh my god. Is that real? Let's hope so. No. No. Oh, that's god. how they're operating. I hope it's real so they can get him off the books. <laughs> Speaking into existence, I, I love that. Man, you finally get Woot Weghorst, 30 year old center forward uh, on loan from Burnley. Sort of weird, but hopefully it works for them. Um, Leeds, they break their transfer record with a 20 year old center forward um, from Hoffenheim for 35. Five million pounds. I'm trying to see if there's any other big ones on here. Uh, this one's interesting. Um, yeah, Aston Villa signed John Duran, a 19-year-old striker, for $22 million from Chicago Fire. Very interesting. Um, has all the supposed skills to, to become the top. I think a lot of big players were in for him. Don't know how he pulled it off or what that means. I'm not sure if he'll play right away, but he just got called out of, I think, U-20 Columbia camp to come straight to, into the Villa team. So who knows? We will see on that. Jumping around quickly to the other leagues, there's been a lot of stuff in the MLS, and it's hard to cover because it's a lot of kids getting drafted from college, a lot of internal MLS stuff. Um, but Two-time MLS Cup winner Franco Escobar goes to the Houston Dynamo, maybe making them better. I know they've made a couple uh, 
movements this offseason. Diamande, a.k.a. Draymond Green's doppelganger, finds his way back into the MLS and lands in Toronto. If you don't know who Diamande is, just go look on him. I think he looks exactly like Draymond Green. Um, Yeah, Steve, any other ones you want to cover here? Uh little Memphis Depay, uh, we talked about it last episode, uh, confirmed signing for Atletico Madrid from Barcelona. Um, I think around, is it, I think like three to four million euros from Barcelona, uh, signing until 2028. So Barcelona are hoping, hoping that uh, another signing away from their team doesn't come back to bite them in the butt. I hope it does, probably won't, but I hope it does. What about the hometowner, Steve? Some sad news out of Atlanta. Huh? Nothing. Uh, I just got my season ticket holder gift in the mail. Um, <laughs> yes, this is what Atlanta United sent me, a season ticket holder, last year at the start of the season. It goes from having a gold-plated statue of Josef Martinez to him signing for... Enter Miami, uh, I believe on a one-year deal, but with an option uh, for another year after that. Really upset about that. He's going to be donning the number 17 jersey. And um, head of front office operations, Carlos Bacanegra, says, you know, I'm upset that he went to an interdivision rival. So um, if that doesn't give you a hint of where things are at with Atlanta United, I don't know what will. So but anyways, yeah, that's that's what's going on in the hometown. Are our expectations low for this season, guys? Brand you specifically? Yeah, I'm sure we'll have an MLS episode, um, but they're they're low on again on paper. I think our team is good. It's pretty MLSy, uh, maybe upper middle MLS. But um, I don't believe in our manager. Uh, I don't believe in Carlos Bocanegra. Um, and now we're without the best goal scorer in MLS history. So uh, I don't know where you go from there, to be honest. So hopefully Gareth, I think his name is, Longway, Largerway, whatever his name is, can do some magic for the team. But uh, I, I, for one, am for signing Ronaldo Cesarenos again and him not scoring a single domestic goal. That was fun. I enjoyed seeing that a lot last year. <laughs> Hey, you can't hate on him too much. He he did his job, Mister uh, Steve. Your guy, you're kind of the guy who loves to look at the rumor mill, everything that's going on in between uh, things that maybe just aren't official yet. What is it looking like out in the rumor world? Ah, uh, yes. We'll start maybe low stakes to high stakes. Uh, Nottingham Forest, they love their new signings. They're in talks right now to sign Chris Wood on loan with an option to buy from Burnley. Um, Tottenham, Newcastle. Newcastle, Chris Wood, uh, <laughs> made the transfer already. My bad. Uh, Tottenham, I'm, I'm tempted not to talk about them at all, but uh, Pedro Porro from Sporting, uh, go figure. Sporting's asking for a number that Tottenham does not want to pay, and that's a $45 million release clause. Correction, Euro release clause. Uh, but Spurs aren't going to pay it, so go figure. Um, Leicester City are close to a deal for oh, – I'm going to butcher this. Somebody Victor Christensen. Thank you, thank you. Christensen, 20-year-old left back uh, for 20 million euros from FC Copenhagen in the Danish league. Um, we're going to go to West Ham. My boys West Ham are in talks to sign Harry Maguire 
as well as Danny Ings from Aston Villa for 15 million pounds of for Danny Ings and then the Harry Maguire potentially being uh, end of the season loan deal as West Ham are struggling to stay in the Premier League right now. If the season were to end today, they're hanging out with my boy Sunderland in the championship and take it from <laughs> Sunderland. You don't want to be there. So signing to England, uh, center back and uh, Danny Ings, Brandon can talk to you about it. Proven goal scorer, honestly, pretty good moves. I like it from West Ham. Talking about signings in January that can save a season, I don't think I'm too dramatic to say that these are two signings that would save West Ham seasons. No no other team in that bottom three are going out and signing Harry Maguire or Danny Ings. And again, just rumors, just rumors. But these are rumors with some validity to it. Um, and this would help David and Moyes and the boys out a lot. Well, Brandon, now real quick, it's interesting that Villa just signed this young striker, John Duran, for $22 million from Chicago Fire. Then they'd be looking to move on from Danny Ings already. Are they that confident this kid could be the next striker for Villa? Uh, you know, I would hope they wouldn't do that. But I believe in Unai Emery. If that's what he wants, I'm for it. But um, personally, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't be for that. Hold on to Danny Ings until the rest of the season. I don't know what his contract situation is like. But move him on in the summer if you feel like it's time. The summer, again, is another opportunity to bring in more players, different players, whatever the scouting department has found. Um, and that's, I think that'd be the time to sign Danny Ings. We're, we're looking up the table, I think, hopefully the rest of the season and, um, going to start climbing here soon, knock on wood. So losing Danny Ings in January would not be the best move in my opinion, but if West Ham do get Harry Maguire and Danny Ings, they will be far from relegation, I believe. Okay. Well, you heard it from the Villa guy right here. Well, we had match week 20 in the Premier League this past weekend. The biggest game, arguably Manchester United versus Manchester City, red versus blue. And this one was action-packed. It had everything you'd want from a derby, including late winners. Big moments that may be a little controversial. I know for sure we're going to dive into that. Um, But Brandon, what was the breakdown on this one between both Manchester teams? Yeah, you know, Man City was playing very loosely, I felt like, the first 45 minutes. Um, missed passes, misplaced passes, um, not penetrating very well, uh, allowing Man U to counter freely. Uh, it was really, really weird. Um, but yeah, I think Manchester United had a couple chances, and they, like I said, they looked really, really good on the counter. You could tell that they've been practicing it all week. Um they were countering very quickly and playing directly through to Rashford, which is an amazing outlet. <laughs> I mean, Rashford is very quick um, and just had acres of space to run into. So that was working for them really well in the first half. Um, Rashford did have two relatively big chances um, in in that first half, didn't put them away. Um, and I had a feeling they might be ruining those come the second half. Well, you were right, weren't you? Because in the 60th minute, we get Jack Rulis. He gets subbed on and has that immediate impact off of Kevin De Bruyne across. Jack uses his big old head, puts it in the back of the goal, actually gets City up early. Not early, but, you know, early in the second half. Um, and they were looking the better team. They were looking 
like they're going to dominate the game with their possession like they normally do. Um, and then that 79th minute goal comes by Bruno Fernandez and uh, a little bit of interference potentially from Marcus Rashford. But Brandon, you read the rule and we can kind of make our own opinions off of this one. Yeah, I'll save my opinion until after I read the rule. But here is the rule by the FA on an offside offense. Um, a lot of the announcers and stuff, I don't know where they were getting their, their ideas from. But um, I'll let you guys decide. Offside offense. A player in an offside position at the moment the ball is played or touched by a teammate is only penalized on becoming involved in the act of play by interfering with play by playing or touching a ball passed or touched by a teammate, interfering with an opponent by preventing an opponent from playing or being able to play the ball by clearly obstructing the opponent's line of vision or challenging an opponent for the ball or clearly attempting to play the ball, which is close when this action impacts on an opponent or making an obvious action, which clearly impacts on the ability of an opponent to play the ball or gaining an advantage by playing the ball or interfering with an opponent when it has rebounded or been deflected off the goalpost or crossbar an opponent um, been or been deliberately saved by any opponent. Um, they go on to give an example. I'm trying to find the example real quick because it's so funny. Um, <laughs> let me see. Yes, here it is. In situations where, and this is the example they give, a player moving from or standing in an offside position is in the way of an opponent and interferes with the movement of the opponent towards the ball, this is an offside offense if it impacts on the ability of the opponent to play or challenge for the ball. If the player moves into the way of an opponent and impedes the opponent's progress, the offense should be penalized under Law 12. Okay, what do you take from all that? Uh, there was a lot of bullet points in there, so sorry for taking so long, but I feel like it's important to read the full rule because the full rule was not being read on social media and on the NBCSN broadcast that I was watching, which I was like baffled by. So after that, Cole, what do you think? I mean, it just feels like every other offside call would have been made in that moment except this one. It just feels like it is the definition of the law. Like he's impeding his opponents. He's making a play on the ball. And I don't see how it's not offside. He's obviously clearly offside as far as his positioning. It's not a matter of, you know, inches and right. whatever have it. It's literally he is making a challenge on the ball. And then Bruno Fernandez comes in, swoops it and scores a goal. I think by those rules that you just read, to me, that is an offside. The goal should be disallowed. And it should stay 1-0 at that point um, to City's favor. But that's just me. I just feel like this it really isn't that controversial if you're a referee because it's clearly laid out in front of you that he is making challenge at the ball. And that was always what the intention was for United at that point. So, yeah, no goal. Steve? Um, here's the thing. I bet money on Manchester United to win the game. Therefore completely on sides i don't know what y'all are no this was blatant off sides it was obvious everyone was focusing on rashford he didn't touch it um but it's almost like i think of me when i used to annoy my little my older brothers of just like i'm not touching you i'm not i'm not i'm not 
I'm not touching you, but I was affecting their mental health um, at that early age. Um, <laughs> and so this is this is what I think of when it comes to this. It's Rashford half a centimeter from the ball. Like I'm not I'm not touching it. Um, you're shielding it. There's uh, defenders don't know. Again, the flag doesn't go up automatically. So by all matter of like the law of how offsides works. It's it's game on. You know, they might have an inkling in the back of their head that thinking Rashford's offsides or whatever it is, but all the attention's on Rashford. Um and then the ball gets slammed home by Bruno. Um so yeah, it's it's offside. It's bad too, because these are top two I mean, these guys are tied on points right now. So this is a bad look. Um Manchester United will wanna say, Yeah, well, you know, whatever um but you know this these are the kinds of games that can decide um you know final placings finishings in the premier league so bad call yeah, yeah bad call and it, it ultimately cost city because then three minutes later man you on another counter which is beautifully done garnacho finds rashford and it's an easy tap in that what puts them up 2-1 and rashford's the hero on the day by not scoring the first one and then getting the second um <laughs> to help united win the game so getting those important three points um edging up closer to the top of the league. Um, but yeah, this this one definitely did not like any controversy. Um, but City leaving with more questions than they walked in with potentially too. Um, but yeah, we'll get that to a little bit um, as we kind of get the previews. But yeah, Man City, it's going to be a tough, tough go at it as the weeks come along. Um, points are becoming more and more important. Um, but I'll quickly leave this thought with you as after the game, Pep Guardiola said that you know, we don't care about the Premier League. We don't care about losing the Carabao Cup. We've won those things multiple, multiple times. Um, an interesting thought from your manager of how do you get the guys motivated when he's saying that. I guess it's Champions League all or nothing right now. Um, I'm sure we can get into that a little bit. Uh, but the other major game on the weekend was Tottenham versus Arsenal at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, this one ended... It was an ugly one for Tottenham. Arsenal looked like the number one team in the league for sure. And Tottenham looked like a bare-bones version of themselves. The attack has not been clicking when it matters most. And now they've lost both matches against Arsenal this season and have lost five of their last nine in the Premier League. Uh, this one got started out early when Hugo Lloris once again falls short of his skill set as a, as a keeper. As Bukayo Saka puts the ball right to Tottenham skipper's chest. And as he's kind of falling down makes it put this wonderful spin right into the back of the net for an own goal to give the Gunners an early lead, which I think most of us have seen it. If you haven't, go look it up real quick. It takes a second to notice that really, I think Hugo should have done better. But Steven, as fellow Tottenham fans, is it time to start looking for a long-term replacement for Hugo Lloris after we've seen some major gaps this season? He's the guy that leads to the most goals in the Premier League this season as far as individual results. Um, what are your thoughts on a replacement for Hugo Reese? I mean, I think uh, the obvious answer is yes. Um, however, I think that this is honestly the least bit of our problems at, at Spurs. Um, and so I don't want to focus too much on Hugo. Yes, we do need a new replacement at keeper. I think even negotiating his last deal, there's a question of how long do we sign him for? How much is this extension going to be? And I believe it's just through this next season coming up and then the contract runs out. So I would not be surprised if we move him to France this summer um, to go be in Ligue 1, um, where he's from. Um, yeah, it's it's tough for Hugo. And, and you hate to see it, 
um, like a club legend like Hugo Lloris just struggle um, in his in his last couple seasons, and this is just what has happened. Um, so it's unfortunate, but I think it's a culmination of just the way things are at Spurs. It's just a a glaring sign of like, yeah, things are bad. Look at this Lloris mistake. <laughs> like, it's it's kind of like the affirmation that you need as a front office to make some moves. Um, yeah, maybe the goalkeeper's the first one you make, but I honestly wouldn't mind some other signings before then uh, over the goalkeeper position. Um, like many keepers say, it's it's a lot different being the last man of defense. And, you know, De Gea goes from getting the balls in between his legs one game to making absolutely insane saves to the next game. Um, they're not at the same pedigree right now, Hugo and De Gea, but short answer... Yes, you need to find a new goalkeeper replacement, but I'm not in for a big money. I'm not in for a big money signing, honestly, this summer to replace them if it's not thought out and everything like that. There's keepers that look great and everything, but I don't. I don't know, dude. I don't know. I'm just sad. Hey. I'm just. I'm just sad. Like I said at the start of the podcast, when I watch Tottenham, my mood decreases. And that's, it's just sad. (laughs) I totally get it. That's a very fair observation. And I don't think it's in our most immediate need, as you mentioned. It's just not, it's not there. Hugo obviously just led France to a World Cup final. Um, They obviously fell short, but he has it in him to still be a world-class keeper, I think. Um, It's just, you get in these moments as a keeper, it's just, you know, what if the defense did more to close off Saka and not let him get to the end line? You know, it's he's being put in those situations. How do you react so quickly? There's a, a slight deflection. Like, there's so many different things to factor in, and he's got it wrong. Um, unfortunately, it was in the game that mattered the most. I don't even think he's in. I mean, I'm curious on your take on this, both of you, Cole and Brandon. But I don't even think he's in Tottenham's top three needs, like that keeper position. I would rather sign like three or four other position players before goalkeeper. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's not even, yeah, not even top five. Like, I would start looking at other places first. Like, I feel bad for Emerson Royale. He's been having to be play out of position all season. That's your number one priority right now is get a right wing back that fits Conte's system. That's number one. I mean, you you bought Jed Spence, you're not doing anything with him. Maybe it's because he's too young. I don't know. Go ahead. Get the Poro guy from Sporting. Bring him in for $45 million, $30 million, whatever it is. That's your number one priority. Your second priority is to find a creative midfielder somehow to link up play God, yes. in between Harry Kane and the back five because it's not working. Like, he's not getting the ball. He's not getting enough touches, which is making him drop back even more, which then doesn't allow him to get um, the balls in the cross like from Perisic. Or, you know, just, it's just not working right now. We're not connecting. We got lucky against Palace scoring four goals, but we just look horrendous against Arsenal. Um, there's no link-up play, and that's not to the fault um, of any players, just that they're just not built for the system. Um, and that's just not helping either that Benton core has been out. So right wing back, creative midfielder, um, much like the one we see at Arsenal, like Odegaard, who creates and scores goals out of Jeez, nothing. That's who I would have loved to have had three years ago. Um, that's a guy you definitely missed on. Christian Eriksen did the same thing at Man United. Maybe a homecoming would have been sweet, um, especially on a free. But it's just, again, that's what you want is guys like Odegaard and Eriksen to be on your side. Um, so you can deliver balls to Harry Kane, let him score goals like we know he can. But Brandon, what about you? I don't know. Um, I, I guess I don't watch enough Tottenham to know. I, I know like 
the right back position is glaringly obvious that that is number one. Um, like no more Emerson Royale. Doherty's been okay from what I've seen, but um, I think he's more of like a Swiss Army knife. I feel like you can play him wherever, <laughs> wherever need be. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think Tottenham squad's in a good place. It's not a great place. Mm-hmm. I think. I do think though Hugo Lloris is starting to show like he's he's not up to it. I I yeah. would say it is a top five. Not top three for Tottenham, probably, but definitely top five. Like, it's probably time to start looking if a good opportunity comes up. Not January, but this summer, it yeah. might be a good time to, to move things on. Yeah, that's a that's a fair that's a fair uh, assessment of it. And like I said a second ago, um, Odegaard was the one that scored the second goal for Arsenal, um, which helped them to finish the game off. And Arsenal then they maintained their lead atop the Premier League. And don't currently look as though they are vulnerable to slip-ups. Um, they will be tested with a big match against Man United um, in a couple of game, a couple of days. Uh, but the question I have here that I want to land on is, at this point, in the middle of January, is the league done and over with Arsenal Premier League champions, Brandon? Is this really the reality we're going to see play out? You know, it's, it's a very real reality. You know, I also want to say we're only 19 games in. Um, some people have games halfway. in hand and whatnot. So yeah, we're, we're about halfway in now. We are halfway. Um, so the table is really taking shape, but also at the same time, it's not, I think this, this year is so weird, but the way Arsenal are looking, I haven't seen a team play like this in a while. Um, just like the consistency and the high quality, it's, it's phenomenal. It really is. And I, it's really hard to see anybody catching them. It's it's hard to again. It's hard to see them dropping points. Like you you put them up against anybody and you say, don't know where they're gonna drop. Like it, the drops are gonna come from the top five probably, top six, if if at all. So like I think those are the only chances for Arsenal to really drop points, um, which really means Man City has to beat them both times if Man City wants a chance at the title. Um, Man U's already beaten them once. I know we're going to get into it. They play them this weekend. Massive, massive game. Um, and yeah, you hope you don't hope for any injuries. But if Arsenal get bit by an injury bug, that could really, really change things as well. So I don't want to say it's tied up, obviously. But man, it is well in the hands of the Gooners. Um, maybe one hand on the trophy, a pinky, something like that. Steven, are you wrapping the bow of a Premier League title for Arsenal? I'm not. Um, and, you know, I think a part of it is watching Man United lose today, um, getting asked about Casemiro missing the game against Arsenal off of a red card suspension. Uh, Ten Hag said we beat them once without Casemiro. We can do it again. Um, and United beat Arsenal. Huge game. Um, they got to play Manchester City twice. They got to play Newcastle, who they drew last time. And... I, I, and they got to play a good Fulham team. They got there's a lot more this season that's to come, and not to mention the Chelsea's and the Liverpool's that they still have to play. So I think it's, I mean, really in reality, if if Arsenal lose, which is a lot of onus again, this huge game going on this weekend. If Arsenal lose against Manchester United, Manu's on 42, Arsenal's on 47. That's five points. Like, 
you know you just don't know you just don't know um and it'd be a fool's bet to make end of the season predictions right now when we already said this is going to be the most wild season premier league since i've been following so um i'm not i'm not tying it up yet the tottenham fan in me is saying hell no uh <laughs> the realist in me is saying eh, maybe so i'm gonna say it's gonna meet in the middle i'm just gonna say not yet yeah we, we've been high on arsenal all year and we we We've seen it for a long time. We even yeah. kind of mentioned a little bit at the end of last season. We knew Tottenham came out top then. But we said Arsenal's going to be looking pretty good under Arteta, and it's been proven right so far. Um, but a lot of people, if they were betting, they would have said that Liverpool would have been title contenders this season. But they have slipped up once again, losing 3-0 to Brighton, Brandon. Uh, what's going on in Liverpool, and what happened in this match? <sighs> I, I honestly I didn't watch it. Um, I wish I did just to see Liverpool capitulate. Um, but I did watch the highlights, and Liverpool were just so bad. They were so bad. Again, going back to their defense, it, it looks nothing like it used to. Nothing at all. Um, Matt Tip de- definitely has a, a game to forget. Um, he, you know, he he rarely makes mistakes um but i think it's starting to come to his game now more and more um but yeah matoma who we mentioned past two weeks by the way has another assist this week um i forget who scored the goal but um it was march matoma was yeah solely march matoma's so good people (laughs) he is so good especially for brighton um so yeah and then and then um who else who else did March score the second goal? Yeah, two goals. The oh second goal was a beaut. It was gorgeous. Yeah, with his left foot from the left, like right inside the box, like left corner almost. I don't know how Allison didn't save it, but it must have been just that perfect that it that it went in. Um, and then I don't know how the hell Danny Welbeck is still playing at this level, but Danny Welbeck scores an amazing goal. Um, there's a throw in to him, I think, something like that. Yeah. He flicks it over a defender and puts it right past Allison. I was like, what are we watching? <laughs> are we watching like a Premier League team versus a second division team or a third division team? Like, what are we watching right now? Brighton was smacking them. That's really all I had to say. Was, that was probably incoherent, but. Um, Brighton look amazing as they have done all season and Liverpool look inconsistent and bad. Yeah. Trent Alexander Arnold, my guy just walking places, not even trying to play defense. Oh God. I saw that video. (laughs) See, did you see that video? Yeah, I did. To be fair, Trent had a save off the line in like the first five minutes of the game that I don't think the shot was on target, but it might've been, but yeah, it looked bad. Um, I did want to play a fun fact thing, as Brandon would do, quiz time oh, or whatever, nice. about oh, wow. Karamatoma, this amazing left winger for Brighton. Um, fun fact about Matoma, he rejected a pro contract in 2016 from the Japanese uh, Pro League to go study at university in Tokyo, where he literally studied 1v1 dribbling, coaching, and sports medicine. As he says, also, I learned, quote, I learned a lot of things. Um, He then signed in 2019, three years later, uh, for Kawasaki Frontale, where he made Japanese League Team of the Season and won the title. 
Oh, and what does he do this past World Cup? He scores two goals to send Japan to the World Cup against Australia, describing it as the biggest moment of his career so far, and then is an instrumental part in taking down Spain in the World Cup in Qatar with an assist. Um, This guy literally turned down playing the game at a professional level to go study the game to be better at the professional level. Um absolutely wild talk of maybe the next brighton sell in the summer honestly like real quick brighton selling players out out the wazoo and still being in the position in which they are basuma to tottenham trozard about to leave soon cucarella um there's there's others that i'm forgetting right McAllister's now. probably going this summer yeah it's it's absolutely insane you could even say transfer of their coach getting paid to let go of their coach like this team is amazing, and it's so fun to watch. Matoma just using that study from University in Tokyo just to dismantle Matip and Trent Alexander Arnold. It was, <laughs> and it's fun, and it's fun to see Japanese players in the Premier League. There's not a lot of Japanese Premier League players that are playing at an elite level, and it's so awesome to see just a transition of from the World Cup. These are the things that we're talking about back in the World Cup episodes of guy having a good World Cup, coming in off of it, and just the form has just continued, and it's just such an awesome story. So a couple fun facts for you about Matoma. Uh, Mr. Matoma, I might buy his jersey, honestly. Yeah, uh, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Yes. He's, he's, he's class. I come to Tottenham. I love that. Oh, I mean, shoot, at this point. Um, yeah, Brighton, they're flying high this season, and even people just saying they love the new manager more than having Graham Potter there. They're in a league of their own, it just seems. Like, their scouting team is world-class. <laughs> they're they're out playing. I mean, you know, Man City does well. Arsenal does well with their academies and stuff, but Brighton really, they do turn it up a notch when they're scouting these players and getting them up to Premier League level. Pretty remarkable, especially their position right now in the table, but... On the flip side of this matchup that we had, Liverpool are just continuing to slide to levels that they had not seen in years. Jurgen Klopp, is the pressure on him? Is it too early to smash the Liverpool panic button, guys? It's looking rough. It's looking like it's going to be a horrible end to their season. But like you said, Brandon, it's the midway point. Um, is it too early to smash the Liverpool panic button? Uh, no, and I think we've said this in previous podcasts. I mean, they've looked bad and inconsistent, and not like in previous years where they sort of turn it around and, like, still get results. I still think they they can get results when they're not playing well. This is still a really good team on paper. Um, but they are not putting it to, together this year. Um, it's definitely panic. As far as Klopp's job goes, I think he's already said, like, I'll be here until they don't want me basically. So that answers that. Um, but, but if you're a Liverpool fan, you probably say, well, we've done it the past three seasons. We've looked shaky the first half and come alive in the second and go on a run. Why, what's different this year? Some people are coming back off of injury. We're going to get a consistent lineup week in, week out. And I also think the Champions League makes them come alive in a weird way. Um, so that'll be coming back in February. So definitely panic button. Definitely, but what is it? What does that really mean? Does that mean not top two or not top three? Um, they probably won't make top four if we're being honest. I think there's five or six better teams than them. Um, so 
Yeah. If that's if that's pan if that's what what we mean by panic, yeah, yeah, smash the panic button. You sh- you should have been on the panic boat uh, months ago. So, it's too early. Uh, no, it's definitely definitely panic time. And I want to make the distinction right now because Chelsea's level with them on points, right? And I think verbiage of these two clubs is really important. Of Chelsea's talked about keeping Grand Potter long term hire, building something, coach whatever. Chelsea's probably gonna have a fire sale this summer. Um. Liverpool is different, and they don't have, like, trillions of dollars to spend. And I think they have a lot of areas of need. And you have the Mosalas, You have the Cody Gakpo, new signing. Um, the Darwin Nunes has not turned out the way you need it to right now. Um, and you're still starting James Milner in important games. And you're playing Harvey Elliott in whatever position that he can play, honestly, to help your team out. And they're lucky that he's as good as he is. Um, honestly, like this is a guy that was playing on the like in the youth like throwaway games like a season and a half ago. Um, and if Liverpool isn't ready to pony up on money, especially this summer, um, I think they're going to start being on the outside looking in. Um, I think this is again like Chelsea has the money to spend. Tottenham. Like, I think Tottenham could, could beat Liverpool off the pitch right now, to be honest. Um, our starting 11 versus theirs. Like, it's just, like, Trent, that's a guy that they were all in on. Like, this guy has looked like a shadow. Like, that's an issue. Like, he might not be on Liverpool at start of next season. Like, that's a really real thing. Um, how this season plays out is super vital for Liverpool and I think the future of the club. Um yeah, they don't look good. They won against Wolves today in the FA Cup, so we'll see if that does anything. But, like, if they go get battered by a Chelsea this this weekend, which I don't think they will, but I don't know. Like, they just got battered by Brighton. So it's like, again, Brighton's above Chelsea and Liverpool, like what we've been talking about. But still, I don't know. I For some reason, I got this feeling about Liverpool that the good times have come. The Premier League title, the Champions League title, and they might be starting to go away a little bit outside of the top four, absolutely. Um, and then some. The Newcastles are in town. Like Chelsea's going to spend money next year. I'm not worried about Chelsea's position next year. Um, and we can go in depth about it later, but I I think for some reason I got this feeling that there's this huge storm um, getting ready to hit Liverpool if they don't figure it out. Like if, like honestly, if they lose Klopp, like if they fire, like if they have to make a move or whatever it is, and get Klopp out of there, I don't know. That's how yeah. I. That's I mean yeah. that's that's how I feel about the club. Like if, and results are results, and how much do you, how much do you stay with? Uh, and Klopp's not on the hot seat, but at the same time, Liverpool's in ninth place right now. And if they lose against Chelsea, Villa could be level on points to them at the end of the... No disrespect to Villa. But the Villa's in 11th. If you were to talk to a Liverpool fan about Liverpool being potentially down at 10 or 11, the bottom half of the Premier League table... Halfway through the season, too. Halfway through like, the that's season. that's bad. Like, and not really signs of things... I, I don't know. I think I'm smashing it. Both hands... I don't know. I just got, I got a feeling. I got a feeling. So they better get the ship right. Klopp's gone. Nucleus is gone. Liverpool's in trouble. 
I don't think it's anytime soon, though. Klopp ain't gone, let me just say that. But anyways. Yeah, it's looking dreary. It's looking dreary. The club is also up for sale, potentially, um, to new buyers. So there could be an injection of money with the right owners um, if all that falls through. So, yeah, it's an interesting time to be a Liverpool fan. Um, we'll see what happens next if Klopp sticks around at the end of the year and the years to come, or if there are some changes made at the top of the club. All that is remain to be seen, but they are still, like you said, right there at the middle of the table, even potentially able to fall to the bottom half next game. Well, Newcastle, they are in the top four. They went up against top six club, Fulham. They had the 1-0 win over Fulham. Alexander Isaac in his first game back leads them to scoring the game winner in the 89th minute. Fulham fans have to be sad about that one. Newcastle at the time stayed in third level on points with Man United, um, but they had the goal differential um, of 14, uh, Newcastle does, and Fulham, who just got promoted this year, don't forget this, um, they are fully deserving where they are, currently in sixth, played a great game, Marco Silva, the former Everton manager, has been doing something remarkable with Fulham, um, and we'll talk about them in a second of who they're going up against next, Brandon Villa, they played Leeds to a 2-1 result, uh, you feeling good about Unai Emery so far and what they did against Leeds? Yeah, I do. Um, funny enough, we are only lost since he's come in in the league. Um, was to Liverpool's three one. I don't think the score necessarily does the game justice, but um, he just knows how to get results. And it's been such a short period of time that he's been with the club. I'm really, really loving Unai Emery. Um, I don't know if we're a uh, top eight team quite yet, maybe, but our coach definitely is. Um, and I think the coach can work wonders in the in a football club. As far as this game goes, though, um, I think Leeds probably played the better game overall. Uh, but at the end of the day, putting it simply, Villa took their chances and Leeds didn't. Um, but I do want to halt real quick and, and give a little a spew because Leeds fans – Come out, come on in. I want to have like dim lights or something. Let me dim yes. the lights. Mm. Leeds fans, come on in. Listen. Stop calling for Jesse Marsh to be fired, please. I see it all the time on Twitter. Even though Twitter's not a great place to to, <laughs> to maybe judge what's going on, but please stop calling for him to be fired. Do you have rocks for brains? Um, Leeds currently has three categories of players, and I'll put it simply to you. Championship players, like I've said before. Two, talented youth that is inconsistent. That's your Brendan Aronson, that Nanto kid that plays on the wing who looked awful against Villa but came up with an assist. And then three, mid-table talent. You have some pretty good players like Tyler Adams, Ilian Melier. That's probably it. Um, also, if it, if it weren't for Marsh getting the most out of Rodrigo and making him play out of his absolute skin this year and scoring the goals that he has, Leeds would be way worse off. You look better right now than you did under Bielsa. Stop calling for Jesse Marsh to be sacked, please. You Where you're supposed to be for a reason. Also, none of your players would get into Villa's squad. And look where Villa is, mid-table. So let's 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 take let's have a rain check right now, okay? Let's have a rain check. Okay, I'm off. I'm off the soapbox. Wow! 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 That was that's a clip right there. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) God. Well, um, big Jesse Marsh fan over here. Uh, Wow, Brandon Pacing putting himself on the soapbox. Not even. I'm just tired of seeing it. 
I'm just tired of seeing all the Leeds fans go at him. It's like he's doing a great job. <laughs> like, come yeah. on. No, like, what do you right. what do you expect from your team? What do you expect? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, they definitely Rodrigo they are currently touch with reality. Currently fifth on the uh, Golden Boot race right now. Rodrigo from Leeds, just like everybody predicted. Yeah. Exactly. You think that's Rodrigo? No. <laughs> no. People Sorry. are out of touch. Well, we're going to get to the preview section of the supporter section. This is where we look to the next fixtures in the game week 21. Uh, this one is going to be first from Man City and Tottenham. This is a Thursday game. Both teams right now are desperate for three points on the day. If City want to keep their title hopes alive, and if Tottenham want to keep their grip on a top four spot and the Champions League, both teams will be vying for three points. Uh, Spurs, they pulled a double on them last year, winning 3-2 away and 1-0 at home. And since 2017, Manchester City have five wins. Both teams have drawn each other twice, and Tottenham has four wins. So this is actually a really great matchup to keep an eye on. Uh, historically, the most recent history has been competitive. Um, some awesome, awesome games, including the classic matchup between these two teams, in the 2019 Champions League quarterfinals, which that one came down to inches, if everyone remembers that well. Not a and handball. Maybe, not a handball. Not, not a handball. handball. From Fernando um, famously, with an instant classic. Um, I mean, just awesome to watch that one. But we are here today in 2023 looking at uh, two different teams. I mean, you talk about managers and the players that are right now in the positions they're in. Um, this one is interesting because we have a lot of talk between the two teams over different topics involving Spurs and Conte um, of if his time at Tottenham's coming to a close, the, the more dramatic side of people saying that. Um, and then also people talking about Erling Holland, who obviously got off to a flying start to his Premier League career, scoring more goals than anyone else at the start of the season. Um, but people talking recently about having to get Erling Holland involved in Man City's play is actually restricting what they normally have done in the past. Obviously, they've won two straight Premier League titles. Um, but I want to know, are either of these issues involving Antonio Conte's time at Tottenham and now Erling Holland's involvement at Man City, are these issues being blown out of proportion? Are we really nitpicking at what's going on with these two clubs? Steven, I'll start with you and Tottenham. Are things getting blown out of proportion with his time at Tottenham, and is it really coming close to an end? It takes, I'm the cynical guy. But I'm going to say, yeah. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of how Conte is kind of complaining about things. It's kind of vintage Conte. You know that when you sign up for him to be your coach. Um, so it doesn't bother me. It does. But I think it's just all a ploy in a game. It's kind of the Jose tactics or whatever. And I like Jose. So, um, yeah, this team has struggled with some injuries. They've looked very, very poor, though, in the first half of every game. Like... That's the side of me that's so hard to shake with this Tottenham team. Like, it's coaching. Like, it's it's not signings. It's not anything else. It's coaching. Um, Why wow, we look so poor in the first half. So if there's any silver lining, it's that Tottenham has owned Manchester City the past few years. I uh, did the double on them last season and then took a draw and a win over them the season prior. Um, so I got... I got faith, honestly. Um, Conte, I think, is going to switch it up. Um, 
Manchester City I think you're into the same thing I think it's gonna be a very entertaining game um these teams always play each other close unless when they don't and Manchester City wins 3-0 um but that was a few years ago we won't talk about that um but yeah I think it's a it's both yes and no as far as the out of proportion back to your question um yeah yeah, ask me ask me after these two games on the the midweek and the weekend and I'll answer you next week but um I I you know Tottenham beats Manchester City the whole narrative's changing right so um I'll I'll yep. pump the brakes a little bit on um on doom and gloom Conte out I still like him as the coach Okay very good Brandon are the keyboard warriors right and the pundits right when they talk about Erling Holland being constrictive to Manchester City's play, is it really him that is the problem to their recent uh, results? No, it's a joke. It, it's it's laughable. You're not going to blame a guy who's going to score you 40 goals this season and probably bl- break the Premier League goal scoring record as to why Man City is playing so poorly. Um, honestly, though, it's definitely Pep's issue. Um Pep is the one that's choosing everything. He has other options on the bench to play at striker. He doesn't have to play Holland necessarily um, if he's seeing something tactically that he wants to do. Um, so, no, I don't think the issue is with Holland. I think it's more with Pep. But even in that, in, the, in that case, I think it's a very small issue because Man City is still very good and still plays at a very high level. So, yeah. Okay, fair enough. I like the, the, uh, the talk from both of you guys. Um, I'm really excited to watch this one. Also very nervous to watch this one because, like you said, Steve, Tottenham means a result, and Manchester City, they are vying to stay in that title race. So hopefully this one's a good one. We'll get to the predictions maybe a little bit longer in the episode. I'll let you know what I'm thinking about it. Liverpool and Chelsea, they take on each other. Two mid-level teams as they stand. Underachieving is definitely the term. Uh, Their last two meetings in the Premier League were draws, and since 2016, Liverpool have five wins. They both have drawn six, and Chelsea only have two wins to their record. Grand Potter will have his work cut out for him if he wants to beat them this week. Um, and Liverpool beat them in penalties in two finals last year, if you don't forget that. Uh, Liverpool, they came off their embarrassing loss to Brighton. Chelsea having come off a hard-fought win against Palace. Brandon, who is this game more important for? Is it red or blue, Liverpool or Chelsea? Ooh, um... Probably Chelsea, I'd say. Um, I think if they can get the ball rolling, again, like we said, they're very, (laughs) stealing Steve's quote again, they're a very good bad team right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And if they can start putting some things together, especially with their injuries, that'll give them some encouragement. If they can get a result against Liverpool with where they're at right now, that would be amazing. And then you have the whole second half of the season to sort of catch up, try to get into top four. I think it's a big game for Chelsea. Okay, Steve. Um, yeah, I'll say I'll go the opposite side of my doom and gloom of Liverpool, but I mean it's it's you're splitting hairs with the question, honestly. Like both these teams need to win. That's why it's going to be a great game. Um, Chelsea need it. Todd Bowley needs it. Um, and Liverpool needs it. I'm sure Jurgen Klopp is tired of the British media. So um, flip a coin. We say that's probably going to be a draw. So, <laughs> yeah, the odds are it'll be a draw. That is how the math checks out. Um, I think arguably the game that's going to be most important, especially based off the table, is going to be this Arsenal versus Man United matchup. Arsenal conveniently have only had one loss this season, and it came against Manchester United. 
uh, Man United, they just drew against Crystal Palace, which could prove to be a major result in Man United's title hopes, which is crazy even out of that sentence. Uh, but Olise, he got a free kick very, very late in that one that could pull a lot of weight in the title race for both clubs. Um, obviously, in the opposite direction for United, um, if they could have got those three points but had them stolen away. Another pivotal thing that happened in that Palace match was Casemiro le- reached his limit of yellow cards, which now means he's suspended for the big game. Like you said earlier, Stephen, Ten Hag said we did it once without him. What? Why can we not do it again um, a second time? Since 2015, this one's been five wins for United, five draws, and six wins for the Gunners. Uh, so, again, pretty even. Odd to go anyway. Um, but this season feels like two Giants are kind of waking up, rising up back off the ground. Um, this is going to be a huge point uh, in the run for the title race and in who could potentially be the Premier League champion in 2023. Uh, I want to see real quick, Brandon, uh, if you could pick one team to actually win the game, who would you come out with on this one? Ooh, uh, I don't know, man. I think this might be a draw, a very, very exciting draw. Best game on the weekend, um, the most important game in the weekend. Um, yeah, I'll say 2-2 draw. It's at Arsenal, so they might have the upper hand, but I want, I want it to be a good title race, so 2-2 draw. Steve? Uh, Arsenal. Um, at home, I think, does a lot for this club um, in this game. So, yeah, I mean, Arsenal's number one in the league for a reason. I know they lost to United the last go-around, but guess what? That's their only loss of the entire season. Um <laughs> And, yeah, maybe if United won today in some nice fashion, but no Casemiro, midweek game, having to play on the weekend. So, we'll see. Uh, But I'm going to go for Arsenal, probably. I'll go for, like, a 3-1. I think they're going to get their goal-scoring prowess on this weekend. Okay, that's a big one. Uh, The next game, Tottenham also plays another game on the weekend. They play Fulham, who are 6 I'll be quick on this one. Uh, Tottenham have 33 points, Fulham have 31. Uh, so this is really, really important for those Champions League spots. Um, but as we mentioned earlier, this Fulham team is not a Fulham team of the past. This has completely been a redone team. They've been playing good football. They've been scoring a lot of goals, especially Mitrovic. Um, so again, giving that credit to Marco Silva, uh, the credit where it's due. But Steve, quick question for you. Is it time for Sonny to finally grab some pine and make way for Richarlison? Is it time for him to start playing some football in the starting eleven? Yes, please, for the love of God, yes. Um, <laughs> I love Youngman's son. I'm not worried about him, but the facts are the facts. Besides a hat trick against Leicester, um, he's been poor the whole season, honestly. Um, no one can argue with me because I know I'm right. <laughs> like, it, when you have those facts in front of you, and when you have the starting striker for Brazil... It's a no-brainer. Kulisevsky's in the top five in the Premier League for assists, so you're starting him on the right wing, and you're putting Richarlison on the left wing, and you are grabbing a... It's not a gimme. That's the thing, too. It's not a gimme three points, but it's you need to win this game against Fulham. If you lose this game against Fulham and lose against Manchester City, it's, it's yikes time for Tottenham. So, you know... It sounds crazy. Bench the Golden Boot winner last year with 23 goals. And, and start with Charleston. And, you know, sub Youngman's son on. That's how you get a guy back in form. Um, 
but take the pressure off. Let Richarlison have it. He's shown so much passion and grit and just desire um, since playing for Tottenham. So put him on the left wing in a game that's no doubt going to be pretty physical. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you're going on the, the opposite end of where I want to be. Tottenham, if they can get four points from the week, that'll be massive for them. Just edging a little bit closer to that four spot with Newcastle. I think Newcastle will get three points against Crystal Palace. But again, anything can happen. Um, but four points would be massive for them. And keep those conversations away from any sacking of managers or any moves that might God, need to be made. Please. Um, but speaking of sacking, do we have a true L Sackico on our hands? We'll see because West Ham and Everton, 18th and 19th position teams, are going up against each other. They're both sitting on 15 points and only separated by one goal in the goal differential category. Uh, the last two results were 1-0 in favor of Everton and 2-1 in favor of the Hammers. Since 2015, this one, again, pretty even. Six wins for West Ham, seven wins for Everton, and three jaws between the two clubs. Uh, but guys, I just mentioned that Frank Lampard and David Moyes have both just been on the hottest of hot seats this season, underperforming all expectations. It's just, it's so frustrating because these two clubs should be in way better standing than they are. Uh, but if there was a guy that's going to have his time ended at his club, who would it be after going in this matchup? Who has the upper hand to take out the other, Brandon? I think David Moyes has the upper hand. His team is clearly underperforming uh, by a long, long, long shot. Um, I think he has the upper hand to win this game. I think they're also favored in the, in the bookies, so um, take that and do with that what you will. But, um, yeah, Lampard has to win this game, I think, at least high. Is it at Everton? It's a way. So that sort of helps him. It's not in front of his home crowd, but I think he has to win or he's gone, and Sean Dyche is, is waiting there on the wing to uh, take over this crappy Everton team and lead them to safety. Yeah, Where's Sean Dyche uh, podcast? Can we just talk about that? I would love to have him on. I would love to have him on. He's, he's, he's a funny guy. Yeah. Uh, we love Sean. Steve, who's out? who's out on this one? Dude, yeah, I think... Dude, I don't know. If if Everton lose, oh, you gotta fire Lampard, dude. You have to. Uh, if they lose in like ugly fashion, but again, if they lose in a dramatic last minute goal, it's all the semantics come into it. What's the manager market? Who can you get? I'm sure these conversations are already have being had over the phone. Um, so. It's just a matter of the front office that they like the guy over Frank. Frank has done this last year. That's the only positive for Everton right now, keeping him in the position. I think I said this on the past episode of the episode before of like, he's done that before, so maybe he could do it again. Um, but he doesn't have Richarlison, so maybe not. Um, yeah, it's if I'm deciding between the two managers, I'm, I'm, sacking, I'm sacking Frank. Could relegation be the best thing for this club, Brandon? Is relegation really what this club needs to like the fire under their butts to get back into some kind of relevance again? I think there's a famous fact that people point at in the English media that Everton has never been relegated from the top tier of English football. Um, they're the longest standing English club. Um, I don't know if that's a jinx or what, but yes, I think it could be um i wonder if their owner because that's that's really what it comes down to their board and their owners what the fans are having a lot of issues with right now and have had a lot of issues with over the years if they would then sell 
spend a couple years in the championship and then and then build back up. But honestly, they can't go down because they're building a brand new stadium. Do you like you're gonna have a half built stadium yeah. in the championship? Like it's it's just a mess right now at Everton, to be honest. I, I don't know what to make of it other than it is an absolute mess. Yeah, all I know is at the end of the day, the losers are the fans for both of these clubs. These are not what they have done historically. Like you mentioned, Everton, they they aren't supposed to be a team that gets relegated. That's just not who they are in their nature, and it'll be definitely sad to see them go down. But like we just said, Aston Villa, they've done it. They've been relegated. They might need to be one of those clubs that gets sent down, gets their act together, comes back, and rebuilds um, to what they have been in the past. Well, Around the world, we had some results. Barcelona, they beat Real Madrid in the Spanish Super Cup. 3-1, that actually took place in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Ironically, uh, Gavi, Lewandowski, and Pedri all scoring. Lewandowski also getting an assist on the day. Benzema getting a consolation goal in the 93rd minute. Um, Barca still, they sit top of the La Liga with a three-point buffer from Real Madrid. So this one might be kind of a litmus test of how things might turn out the rest of the season in La Liga. Uh, and most teams are back to training this week, so preseason games are around the corner, happening as early as this weekend. Um, and then Italy, the same thing. They actually had their Italian Supercopa in the same stadium as a Spanish one, and Inter Milan beat AC Milan to take the Italian Supercopa on this one. Uh, but Brandon and Steven, our U.S. men's national team, they had their January camp. Some new names, including our old Atlanta United fan favorites, Julian Gressler and Brendan Vasquez, finally get some well-earned U.S. men's national team call-ups, but still, as far as the front of a coach search goes, no announcements regarding Greg Berhalter or anyone new to come into camp. We still just have the temporary head coach on this one, guys. So things are going to be interesting. We'll see who comes out on January 25th and January 28th as we play Serbia and Colombia. Um, it will be interesting. But I think one thing you want to touch on, Brandon, was some controversy in the FA regarding ex-Crawley Town boss John Yims. Um, a bit of a strange thing brewing over there, um, and pretty ugly one, you have to say. Yeah, and I hadn't seen this story until this morning, to be honest. Um, yeah, so the FA has revealed a string of offensive racial remarks by ex-Crawley Town boss John Yems, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, but after the investigation, still concluded that the former Crawley manager is quote, not a conscious oh. racist. Um, now, if I were to read any of the quotes that were in this report on I'm this podcast now. right now, oh, oh my God, um, <laughs> we would be canceled and we, we don't even, we don't even have a hundred subscribers. So, um, yeah, I would probably lose my job. Like, yeah. So anywho, it's, it's an absolute joke that this was the decision by the FA. I don't know how they even came to this. And the FA is a joke. The FA also overlooks the Premier League and the Premier League rules. We talked about the offside thing earlier. They're just an absolute shambles. VAR sucks. Like, the FA is an absolute mess. Um, but I don't want to end there, this section there. I know we're going to get into our bets for a second. But a funny thing happened in Italy this week. January 16th, the Sol... I forget. I don't know how to pronounce it. Soler... Natana. Yeah, Ah, oh, God, my Italian accent's awful. Um, they decide to sack their manage, manager, um, David Nicola, after an 8-2 loss against Atalanta. Atalanta's Oof. a good team, by the way. Uh, but that's an awful loss. On January 18th, after bad replacement options, they have a change of heart. <laughs> 
and they rehire the same manager two days wow. later. Wow. <laughs> so if you think things are being run bad at your company, in your house, all of that, oh just think God. about people that have millions of dollars and all the time in the world to make decisions on managers and whatnot and still getting it wrong. I think you're doing okay in your life. Um, and I think we can get into the bets now. <laughs> wow. A bad breakup. That's hilarious. Just couldn't stay away for more than two days. Hey, we've all been so there. Funny. You know, your ex goes and you think, man, I want them back. And then it works out. Maybe, maybe it will. Maybe it won't. They might maybe. regret bringing him back for the last time. <laughs> well, you betcha is back. And again, this goes without saying we're just amateur betters. There's no way is this betting advice, but this is something fun. We want to give our locks for the week. Steven, beginning with you, your locks for this week is. Oh, yeah. Uh, just real quick, my bet was only one last week that hit. Um, my Manchester United win. No no worries. Uh, but, yes, my lock this week is Chelsea against Liverpool. We've talked a lot about these clubs this episode on the podcast. Uh, Liverpool is favored um, in this matchup. The odds are minus 115 for Liverpool um, over Chelsea being at plus 310. Those are great odds. These teams are level on points. Um, Liverpool just won against Wolverhampton, but again, like we've talked about repeatedly, lost bad against Brighton. This game is going to be at Anfield, but like Brandon said, just like I said, Chelsea's a very good, bad team. Um, I think Chelsea is... I, I like Chelsea to win this game. I like Chelsea to win this game. I like the money on this game. Plus 310 are some wild odds for a team that is level on points. So my money is on Chelsea. You can lock it in. Brandon, who are your locks for the week? You know, I don't really uh, like betting on my team, but I saw this money line and I said, what in the world is going on here? Aston Villa are favorites against Southampton, um, but they're plus 150. Uh yeah, that's a that's an easy bet. Southampton currently sit at the bottom of the table. Last seems like an easy lock for me. Villa money line. Fair enough. Well, I will bet on my own team going in this one because I have some confidence, especially a recent run of results against this opponent, Manchester City. Tottenham had this plus seven hundred odds for a win. I'm not gonna go that far, but I am gonna settle at the plus four fifty four a draw between the two clubs. I mentioned it earlier. Both teams honestly just need a point, and why not share them this week? I'm totally cool with that. I'm going to lock in a draw, probably a 2-2 result uh, for Tottenham against Manchester City. And that one is pretty much how things are going to end today on the supporter section. We have our bets in. We've talked about all the big transfer moves. We've talked about the latest in the Premier League and abroad. Maybe you want to just have a breakup with your ex. Well, maybe you only need two days to get back with them, just like the Italian manager. <laughs> Everything can happen, and we will be continuously watching and keeping track of it at the supporter section. Uh, make sure to tune into episode 54 in the coming week. Like and subscribe if you if you have not already. I have been Cole Carter. They have been Stephen Curl and Brandon Paisnick, and this is the supporter section. We'll see you guys next time. Until then, peace out and enjoy some soccer. See ya.